Titus. New Testament book of Titus. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I have the same problem with my knees that you do, Renee. That's why I need, they let me sit down up here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for loving us, for providing for us your precious word, and calling us to come together like this to look at the word and and to share the love of the Lord Jesus Christ one with another. I really don't belong up here. I, I mentioned earlier that my life is a battleground, that I struggle with affections and things that would distract my attention. And I struggle with the flesh and the world, the devil, these things that all of us know about experientially. And I pray that in spite of the weakness of the speaker and in spite of the distractions that might come to our hearts and minds, that you would be speaking to our hearts, that you, your word would be clear, that you would accomplish in us and through us what only you can do that, that you can do. I pray that as we're looking at these Verses continuing on, we've been in them for several, seems like several months now, that you would be working in our hearts to make us, to suit us, to equip us, to help us to focus on you, and that our lives would, would be transformed more and more into the likeness of our Savior. We talked this morning about the difference between legalism, religion, and the relationship with the living God. I pray that that relationship would overflow more and more, and that we would more and more experience the joy that you talk about in the New Testament, to have your joy in us, and that it would overflow and that it would be obvious, not so that we can impress other people, but so that you can generate questions whereby we can come up or give an answer for the reason for the hope that is within us. So we just commit this time to you and we ask that you would work in our hearts and lives for your glory. And I pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Paul writes to Titus. He's, he's uh, been working in the Isle of Crete, Paul and, and Titus, and Paul has left and he's gone to Macedonia and uh, he's wrote back to Titus to encourage him to continue what they started and what they he's asking Titus to do in this letter is to appoint leadership in the churches that are scattered throughout Crete. This is a early in the early days of the church when the church was just kind of getting started and yet it's interesting that the gospel has spread even through the Isle of Crete. There are a number of places where there are fellowships gathered together in the Lord's name. And Titus is being called by Paul to set up some standard, if you will, for leadership. He's been talking about dealing with false doctrine and other things. And those people who are 
who are in the ministry to distort the truth, false prophets, false teachers. But then he starts in our text, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2. But as for you, and then he's going to tell him to speak the things which are fitting or healthy for sound doctrine. So he's calling Titus back to himself, calling him almost on the carpet, saying, now this is something that's important for you, which is kind of a reminder for us that our relationship with the Lord, first and foremost, is always a personal relationship that we have with the Lord. It isn't simply, I mean, we are a corporation, we are a congregation, and there's a corporate worship going on here, but each one of us relates to the Lord individually, and that we can't, we can't ride on the coattails of somebody else, whether it be family member or parents or wife or whatever, we personally have to come to those choices and those decisions and those relationships between the Lord and ourselves individually. And uh, so it's just a reminder, that's not the topic, but that's a reminder that as he's bringing these things to Titus, he's telling him, as for you, you need to be doing with those things that are fitting for sound doctrine. And then he takes this congregation that he's working with, the people that he's directing Titus to work with, and he divides them up into older men, older women, young men, young, um, young women, young men, and then finally he's going to finish up verses 9 and 10 dealing with bond slaves and masters. What he said regarding older men is, verse 2, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. This is just these, these, these things that we're going to be looking at, we've looked at, and it's almost uh, kind of like the same thing. It, it just is saying here that your life needs to reflect the commitment that you have to Jesus Christ, the relationship that you have, the priorities that are there, they need to be reflected, need to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, he says, in the same vein, verse 3, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, uh, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage younger women. So he's talking about older women and the things that to do. And then they encourage the younger women uh, as he's been, uh, as we relate to them, to love their husbands, to love their children. This is verse four, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. These are all things that are standard. They may not be popular, Today, if you, if you go to the television or go to the news media or to, to popular culture, but they are God's standards and they're important standards that he's put here for both men and women, older men and older women. We've already looked at these things. We're coming now to young men, and this is new territory. We've not looked at this. He says in verse 6, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. This is what he's been saying now to young men, and this is uh, similar to what he's been saying uh, to everybody else. Notice there at the very beginning, the first word, kind of an important word there, it's the word in the English language, the word urge. Um, it it's means to strongly entreat. So here is Titus 
and he is among his ministries to be as he goes to these different churches is to be encouraging and urging young men to be sensible um, that word in the greek is imper present imperative which means commit to doing this on a long-term basis this is not just a passing fancy this is something that you should be doing all the time it's just part of territory that is existing to be urging these young men uh, to be sensible. The word that, uh, that we're using there, um, sensible, has to do with being sober, sober-minded, self-disciplined, temperate, uh, self-restrained in your passions and your desires to be in, in control of yourself. Remember, this morning we talked about it. In fact, we we're talking about the passage in Colossians where it says, set your affection on things above, not on the earth. It's because there is a there is a lot of distractions out here where the Bible says, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. Him and love the world, the love that the Father has through him back to himself is not in it. And uh, so it's it's we want to to control as much as possible our passions and the things that we put into it. And that is something that we can decide to do in favor of putting a priority on our relationship with the Lord rather than just the priority of indulging the flesh and having a good time, so to speak. That's a hard thing, but it means that there's a new heart in your life if you're wanting to please the Lord and you're willing to do that as a priority in your life. It's, a, it's an important priority. And uh, it's, it's something that God has, the Lord has put there in the text and it bears fruit as we develop this what does the Bible say? You're a slave to the one that you obey. So if we are pursuing the world and the pleasures of the world, we become enslaved to that. We can't come in. I know what it's like to come in and it's hard to come in from work without sitting down and watching something on TV rather than using the time for something productive. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, we can become enslaved to that, to those things that we serve. And so this is just very practical stuff. He's saying urge people to be sensible, sober-minded, um, it has to do with being um, aware of what's going on around you. The Bible is so full, and I, I kind of labored whether to, to share these things with you, but just let me draw your attention to a couple of verses because this is important. This is God's Word, and God's Word covers these things, and they're important for us. First Thessalonians chapter 5 is a good starting point where Paul um, He's writing to, to the Thessalonians not to, for them not to let the day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment overtake them by surprise. And he says, but you brethren, verse uh, four of 1 Thessalonians 5, you brethren are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you're all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So you got the light when you're awake the night when you're asleep. So he says there, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober, which is a good call to us to have our minds and our, our attention focused as we're thinking about life and as we go through life, we think about these things, be alert uh, and sober. Those who sleep do their sleeping at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk in the night, but we are of the day let us be sober, let us be serious-minded, um, let us have a heart that is aiming toward the things of heaven 
rather than just indulging the things of earth. That, that is a practice that you can develop. It's, it's, the, it's the ability that God has given to us to develop habits. Habits that, that we can use to control where we, what we indulge in, what we pursue, and what we follow after. And then those habits develop, become like enslaved points. If we are living for the world, we become enslaved to that. If we are living for the Lord. Uh, since my wife died October 10, 2013, uh, I'm there alone. Well, I'm not alone. I have four cats with me. But when I get up in the morning and I wake up earlier and earlier in the morning, I woke up this morning at four. I had to, it took a few minutes to get back to sleep. But when I got up at five, I have, uh, it's quiet. I get my Bible, get my coffee, and I can indulge in reading the Bible. I've developed a habit in my life, and it's just, it doesn't even, I don't even have to think about it now. It's, I actually look forward to it. It's a, it's a time of, of uh, indulgence of, of my mind and my heart in the things of God. I, I read the scriptures many times out loud, and uh, they are very precious, very precious time as you take the precious truths of God's word um, and, and mull them over and you read them out loud and uh, it just it's, it's <coughs> it is adding much value to my life and much pleasure as I look at these things and I see these things and I have the Lord using them in my life. I mean, when you think about it, do you look out there and you can see the wind and you see creation, you see the, the trees, the stars, the trees and the, the plants and the flowers and, and uh, the birds that if you go up on the mountain, you can see all the mountains and they, there is a creator for this whole thing. And he not only created the earth, but he created the entire universe and all the stars and the galaxies and everything. And yet this creator who is the only one who has the power of being in himself, everything else is created. He became man and went to the cross to pay for our sin. We really have a massive debt that we owe him. He is so good to do that. We don't deserve the least of his favors, and yet we are sitting under a torrential downpour of his blessing and his mercy and his grace. And so we are we are so blessed as we spend time in his precious word, which he has bothered to give us. Uh, it, is, it has come to us not only in comfort, but also through the shedding of blood and sacrifice and suffering. But we have it. Many have suffered to, to provide it for us. And we have it in front of us. And we can study it and read it. And it, as you mentioned today, God's word points us to the Savior so that we can come to him and love him. It, it exalts the Savior. It helps us. It opens our hearts and minds and helps us to see him. That's so good. And so as we go through life, we don't want to be asleep as others. We want to be alert. We want to be aware of these things because we're in the word. The same thing is true. Um, one more verse, 2 Timothy. Um, Paul is telling Timothy about the importance of being in the word. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is a Judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Notice this. Be ready in season, out of season. That is, be ready when it's convenient. Be ready when it's not. Which means you need to be in the word in order to know it and to be ready. Be ready in season. Be ready when it's convenient. Be ready when it's not. Uh, be ready to reprove. That is, to bring conviction. To rebuke. That is, to warn. 
not necessarily with guilt, but to warn of what's, what can happen, and then to exhort, that's a gentle plea, exhorting with great patience and instruction for the time is going to come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they're going to accumulate themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. We see that all the time. I don't like this preacher. I don't like that information. I'm going to pick and choose what makes me feel comfortable. But when they do that, when we do that, the flesh uh, ends up picking things that are catered to the flesh. And uh, that's kind of, that's, that's not the way to do it. They say they'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. I've told you before that that verse contains both an active and a passive voice. The active voice, the subject turns his ears away from the truth. The passive voice means that they are given over to myths. Is what it means. They, they have no say so about it. They have the truth, and they turn their ears away from the truth. They make the decision as the subject of this text to turn their ears of the truth. When they do, they are then given themselves over or abandoned, if you will, to error. They have no say so in that. They've turned their back from the truth. They have given over to error. That's a scary thing to think that we are we can put ourselves in a place where we are enslaved to error and we don't have a say so in it. And so um, this this is important. And so this text is just warning us and telling us here to be careful what we put our minds into, what we put our hearts into. We deal with sober issues here. When we're talking about that and these things that we're that we're looking at these are these are very important issues every day we face with multiple decisions detours choices choices of time choices of affections of the heart investments of our energies source of entertainment paul is talking about being serious and sober about life regarding the use of our time to redeem it regarding our heart to regard the affections of our heart our motive for living well to do all for his glory Regarding the focus of our energies to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Over and over again, we are counseled from scripture to put our focus on the scriptures. Luke 14 is one of my favorite verses because it steps on my toes so severely. But in Luke 14, the Lord, in, in uh, talking to those followers, said, if any man wants to come after me and doesn't hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What does he mean by that? Put Christ first. Put Christ first. Exactly what he said. Put Christ first before mom, dad, brothers, and sisters. If you put Christ first, you'll be a better husband or wife. You'll be a better uh, father or mother or daughter. But put him first. And uh, there are those that will interpret that to mean, well, he doesn't love me, but he hates me because he's putting Christ first. But that's not the case. He's putting Christ first. And that's a that's a serious call. That's a serious call. So in this passage here, Paul is telling Titus, uh, he says, to urge the young men to be sensible, that is to be sober. Um, and I want you to notice the text here, and this is this is perhaps maybe the only controversial thing. If, if people want to argue about a text at this point, that you might find in this text what I'm going to say, and that is that when he says be, be uh, sensible in all things, uh, that could be the, the little phrase in all things could be attached to either side. It could be, in fact, all the translations would say, verse 7, it, it, sensible in all things means you're sensible in all things to show yourself an example. I 
personally agree with John on this, and I don't, I'm not saying because it's John, but I think he's right, that it actually in all things has to do with being sensible. Urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Then to show yourself an example of good, uh, good deeds, to be sensible in all things, uh, I think is what he's saying. And that just be sober-minded, be serious, be alert in all things when you go through life. I just want to tell you, just showing you how weak I am, it, it, the snap of the fingers, I can sit down in front of television or something. That's the reason why I've kind of cut out that uh, YouTube because I can open that thing up and within two seconds, it'll have my heart, my mind aimed away from the Lord and the things of the Lord. And I just have to be careful about that. I just have to be, really guard the affections of my heart. I do. And as I said, this is a battleground right here in my heart. It's a battleground. And I just want to be careful about those things. And so that's what he's saying here. Likewise, young men, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible, sober-minded, level-headed, self-disciplined in all things. Then the second point here is to show yourself. And with that little phrase, show yourself, he's, he's uh, using a, a kind of a, a grammatical way of saying present yourself or exhibit yourself or furnish yourself an occasion to do what to be an example the word example is a word we talked about it before that's used in the greek to set um an impression in the sand horses may come out here and run around in the field and you go out there and you can see these impressions in the dirt the horseshoes will make an impression of the sand. He's saying here to set yourself up as, as uh, an impression, to present yourself, to furnish yourself as a, an impression or a stamp uh, made by a die uh, or an example, an imprint, a pattern. Set yourself up to be example. Now, reason what I'm doing here is I'm trying to help us to focus on the fact that Titus is now being challenged again on his personal walk. This is set yourself up as an example, set yourself up as a pattern, set yourself up as oppression. And so this just gives us a, a, a statement here of the importance of the personal example. It's easy as a parent, for example, to say, okay, tomorrow and Sunday, you're gonna to go to church and Sunday school and I'm gonna take you down there and, and put you in and I'm gonna come back and get you after church or whatever. And it's easy to make our kids when they're little comply to some some rules or whatever. But when they get older, they're going to see that we don't set the example of that same commitment that we want to engender in them. And they're going to follow the example more than the sermon or the instruction because the example speaks loudly. And uh, I say that because I have not always been consistent in my example. I've done things and said things and gotten mad at home and things that are just disgraceful, should never come out of my mouth. And I've done it. My son has been witness to those things. He may not be able to remember a lot of them, but I'm sure you remember some of them. But uh, the example is more powerful than anything else. And so what he's telling Titus here in showing yourself uh, an example or an impression or a, a model, if you will, uh, of good deeds. He's telling Titus here, first of all, that your example 
is what's going to influence your instruction to the people. That's a good thing for us to learn. We want to be an example. I, by the way, I appreciate learning what you were saying about, about sharing with those people. And I'm not trying to pat you on the back or anything like that. But it is true that there are some people that God is just really gifted at being concerned for people and interested in people. And then he really uses an area of witness. My wife was one like that. I'm, I get, I, she, many times she would say, you know, I've been thinking a lot. No, I just used Larry and David. She she didn't say it, but I've been thinking a lot about Larry and David. I've really been praying for them. And I said, well, good. And then later on, find out Larry and David have been going through a difficulty. You see what I'm saying? Or a different problem. And uh, that somehow she is much more sensitive than I am in praying for people and being concerned for people. God has his, his flock and his people, and all of us are part of it, but we want to be sensitive in the areas that he's called us to be, and especially in witnessing like that. Care for people. Pray for people, uh, really take it seriously because we are seeking to be fruitful vessels for the Lord Jesus Christ in building his kingdom. And we want to do that. We want to be effective in that. And so um, here he is, he is saying in all things, to young men be sensible in all things. And then uh, to show or present or exhibit yourself as an example. And that just, you kind of get the idea that he's, he's almost, if you hear this on the tape, I'm not saying out of body experience, but it's almost like he's telling Titus, you have an out of body experience where you're sitting there with yourself and you're pushing yourself out as an example, as a, an impression, you're putting yourself there on display for people to see. And that is kind of what it is. Uh, but we don't, Obviously, we're not talking about an out-of-body experience. We're just talking about the importance of being the example that is used by God to speak to other people. But before that example can be used, you've got to walk with the Lord yourself. You've got to walk closely. You see what I'm saying? That has to be that relationship has to be there. And so that's what he's saying. He said, present or exhibit yourself as an example, as an impression, a, a stamp perhaps made by a die. Two things. He uses the phrase here, and we won't get beyond this. He says, to be an example of good deeds. The word good there is a word that speaks of, of beautiful deeds, of virtuous deeds, of valuable deeds. It, it, uh, it's a word that speaks of deeds that can be seen. Um, what what did, did uh, Jesus, um, in, in talking about good deeds, I don't know if I can find yes, Matthew 5:16. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5:16? He said, Let your good works or good deeds be displayed before men in such a way that when they see your good deeds, they will glorify your father in heaven. Now it's easy to do good deeds, maybe, so that people will glorify me. And they will say, Pastor, you, I just really appreciate what you did. And really thank you for what you said and stuff like that. It's easy to do that. But the truth is that if there's any productive fruit out of anything that we do, the Lord is the one that gets the credit for that. Because he's the one that's working not only in my heart, but in your heart, in his heart, in her heart, in other hearts, and in the circumstances. So we, we kind of 
Remember, all these things, when we start doing these good deeds, which he's going to be talking about, is doing these good deeds, uh, which are very numerous in Scripture, we want to do them in such a way that they point to him and exalt him. And so let me just give you a couple of illustrations. And Titus 2.14, if you just step down a few verses, talking about Christ, it says, Christ gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed to purify for himself, to purify for himself, that is, we are used, purified by him. We are instruments in his hand. We are purified for him, a people, for his own possession. And then he uses the words, English word zealous. It means characterized or filled with good deeds. So he is working in the body to purify, to cleanse for himself, because that's the idea of purification. It goes back to the Old Testament where he's cleansing us. What do we have to be cleansed for? From defilement, self-centeredness. Uh, we, we are not equipped in ourselves to be effective as instruments. He has to work in us to do that. And that's why we want to be in the Word. That's why we want to spend time with Him. So he's, he's purifying for himself of people of his own property that are filled with or characterized by good deeds. Another verse and I know I'm running through them quickly, and we could make a sermon out of any one of them. It's Titus 3.8. That's the next chapter over in Titus, where we are to give serious contemplation to our deeds. This is a trustworthy statement, verse 8. Concerning these things, I want to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will carefully engage or give heed or careful thought to engage in good deeds so that you're just saying that these the the result of this is that um those who believe in god will give thought to our to us and our deeds and that these things will be profitable i mean they will be productive they will be they will not be just wasted the good deeds will have an audience and the good deeds will have bear fruit in people's lives and titus 314 is another one uh, good deeds will grow out of a knowledge and submission of God's truth. God's people, our people, must learn uh, to engage. That means learn by study, learn by inquiry, learn by uh, pursuit of the truth. Learn to engage in good deeds. You don't think about good deeds as being the result of studying and learning, but they are. And you can see in the scripture many passages. Uh, I have a friend that uh, is going blind. And I will frequently give him, not frequently, but on occasion, give him re rides to uh, several important meetings we go to. And he's always so thankful for the, the ride, which I knew that. But I've told Fred over and over again that Jesus said, inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brother, you've done it unto me. And I've told him, I said, now, would you say that I'm giving a great sacrifice and doing this unto the Lord? It's not sacrifice. It's a pleasure. It's a privilege to do that. That's what the Lord says. And it's not, it's not, it's not punishment to do that, even though it's effort, even though I would rather save the mileage and do something else. It's something that I do as unto the Lord. And it's important. And here is what he says that we we study um, to engage in good deeds. To meet pressing needs so that the people that, that we're working with will not be unfruitful that we don't want to be unfruitful that's unfruitfulness is a mark of phony religion it's not real religion. real 
the real relationship that we have bears fruit. It's the parable of the sower, where you have the, the seed you got being sown in four soils, but only one of them is fruitful. That's the last one. Then also Hebrews 10, 24. We are to provoke one another. It's what he says. Let us consider how to stimulate. The idea there is to irritate or to provoke so that we're in the body. And I know that we've been teasing David this morning and kind of making fun. But we are in the, in seriously in the body to stimulate, to provoke, maybe to even irritate one another to love and good work. Now, the testimonies that we share when we go out and witness or when we do things, those testimonies encourage me to get out and witness. These testimonies of people that have gone and helped somebody else encourage me to do that. They stim do you understand what I'm saying? They stimulate, they challenge me. Now, I, I can get really lazy and, and slow to respond. And so these things are important in the church. We are to stimulate one another, to irritate one another, to love and good works. This is, you've heard of group therapy. Well, this is congregational therapy where we stimulate one another, encourage one another to do these things. One more verse, uh, and that is in 1 Peter 2.12. Uh, which is probably the verse that you were thinking about all along. It says, keep your behavior excellent, excellent among the Gentiles so that the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good days. That idea of because means flowing out of. They may flowing out of your good deeds as they observe will take notice of them. Rather, glorify God in the day of visitation than the day that he comes back. So that these good deeds will end up bringing honor and glory to the Father with those that, that uh, will be observing them. They see the good deeds. They will, they will glorify God. They will honor him. And that's what we want. That's, that's what we want. Um, the next thing is purity of doctrine. I'm not going to go in and we'll put a little note here. We'll come on. I know we're going slow, but these are all things that I think are important. Well, it's looking at important for me. I appreciate your patience with me on that. These are, this is, this is uh, important truth. Because we want to be pleasing to him. We want to be honoring to the Savior. I do. And uh, we talked this morning. I really appreciate the discussion we had this morning about the difference between a relationship with the Lord and religion. Because we do have a relationship with the living God. And uh, if that relationship is not there, if it is simply religion, it's not saving relationship. I mean, it's not saving uh, religion. It's... it's it's more of a, a crutch, more of a duty, more of a burden. But if, and, and there are things that we do as a duty. There are, we, I read the Bible. I get up in the morning and do that. And I, there is a sense in which there is a sense of duty. But it always, it always opens up to a vista of blessing and, and promise and hope. And uh, because it is the Lord that I'm meeting there. And I know that. And I want that. And I ask him every time I meet, I ask him, the Lord to open my heart. Help me not to be stale and help us not to be just a cranking out of some kind of, of um, legalistic formula. And I do, I do follow formulas sometimes in my prayer life. You've heard of the ACTS formula, which A stands for adoration, C stands for confession, T stands for thanksgiving, and S stands for supplication. I, I go through those things usually in my prayer time to give some kind of structure to my prayer. But it isn't, it isn't, it shouldn't be cold 
And I'm not trying to set myself up as an example. I just, I know what I struggle with. I know that there's just easy to get sidetracked. And uh, I don't want that for me. And I don't want that for you either. So these are important things that we're looking at. And uh, this is, this is uh, important stuff. So let me close this in prayer. It's about five. Father, do thank you for your goodness to us. And thank you for these things that we've been looking at, which do have the potential of being points of legalism, of things that we can crank out in the flesh. I don't want that. We don't, we don't want to have a prayer wheel that we spin and say so many words and so many things. That, that's, that is not life-giving. That's enslaving. Uh, you, you, you told us as we looked at in Psalm 37, 4, to delight yourself in the Lord. But when we just sit down and think about you, it, it can be kind of boring in a way if we're just sitting there with our mind just thinking about you. Unless we have that truth informed by your precious word and as we see the greatness, the majesty, the glory of who you are and understand not just who you are, but what you've done and are doing and what has occupied your time with us and and how what we deserve and yet how you have given us so much, so much um, that we don't deserve. Thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. And thank you for your patience. Thank you for putting a song in our heart, giving us joy in the midst of a day when things seem to be drying on the vine. We're living in trying times. Help your life your purpose, your joy to flow out of us to those around us, that they will see us, they will see your heart. It's not, not something that we are able to fake. It's the real result of a real relationship with the living Savior that uh, will make people ask us, you know, why are we joyful? Why, are we, why do we have that smile on our face? And uh, how is it that we can face these things with a with a spirit that is singing rather than a griping and complaining spirit as the children of Israel did so often. Help that to be the result of our relationship with you and to help it to grow and help it to really blossom and bear fruit for your honor and for your glory. Thank you for this time. It's been a, a time that's been spent mostly looking at me and I don't like that, but I pray that you'll help us to focus on you this week. And I pray in Jesus' name for Thanksgiving. Amen.